This podcast is for you if you want to learn about the wonderful and wacky world of the English language and the people who speak it. If you want to learn English, speak English, and understand different speakers of English, then you're in the right place and you're going to love our podcast episode today. Welcome to English World with Chris Americos. We are a team of language lovers, expert teachers, and native speakers who are on a mission to help people around the world speak English and show the world their true value. We correct mistakes, practice pronunciation, and explore grammar rules while drinking coffee and having fun. So get comfortable, relax, grab a pen and paper, and welcome to the show. Today's episode is brought to you by English Every Day, an unlimited speaking practice program where you can join live speaking practice lessons with professional native teachers five times every day. There are a lot of courses on the internet and a lot of useful videos too, but the one thing that is missing for most English learners is practice. And if you need speaking practice, then English Every Day is for you. So click the link in the description or go to chrisamericoast.com to learn more today. Great. So today we have Chandresa from English for Ladies with us. And Chandresa, uh, first of all, you know, the name English for Ladies, it's kind of, it kind of excludes some people, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> so. Uh, I'm sorry, man. Sorry about that. Sorry, guys. But yeah. How did you get to, how did you get to that point where, where, you know, how, how is English for ladies kind of different than English for men? I think a lot of people haven't thought about that. So let's just hit that right from the beginning. Okay. Well, um, the whole idea, I've been teaching English since 2012, but the whole idea of teaching ladies uh, came very late on. Um, that was during pandemic when I moved back to the UK for the second time uh, when I came back, I noticed that a lot of ladies living in the UK were doing underpaid jobs purely because their English level was not good enough. Mm -hmm. So I was a bit irritated by that. And I was like, I felt like I needed to do something about it. So I had this idea of teaching ladies because I was like, I could, I could help them improve their English and empower themselves and get better jobs. Right. Because uh, most of them, they were people like ladies who had immigrated to the UK, which I know firsthand how difficult it is. So I kind of wanted to make it easier for them. But it started as an idea for them. But then um, it was like, why just them? Why could it not be for any lady around the world who actually um, can use English to empower themselves, uh, get better jobs? and anything really like achieve bigger goals because that's what you did twice so yeah. so tell us a little bit more about that how did that happen like why why twice well uh i yes i moved to the uk twice first time in 2006 um and then came back again in 2019 um well, the first time I was just uh, a girl from a small town, which I felt my country was just not giving me enough opportunities. And I was lucky enough to, to start an English course when I was just 10. Um, my dad just like appreciated languages and he, he understood language as power. And I joined the English course when there were only four people from the whole class. 
but my dad was no i'm happy to pay for this okay you keep going um and i think that helped me earlier on understand the power for language specifically english because as the internet came into our world mm-hmm. right it was amazing to my friends that i could google and find what's the highest mountain in the world with a click like that okay and that was the power of the language right so i was like there's got to be more than this life in this small town i could so, be achieve more so so before you moved to the uk mm-hmm. uh the first time were you living in like what country was it at that time was oh, that kosovo. well kosovo and albania were both albanians yes kosovo used to be part of serbia but uh, when we're talking about like after the war in 1998 then we're not considered um serbia anymore it was like the republic of kosovo well okay so since we kind of started down this road i know that recently there have been increased uh tensions mm-hmm. in kosovo right mm-hmm. yes so this is this still continues that there's some part of the population that's that identifies as serb and yeah yeah there is still a minority uh specifically in one town called Mitrovica um that's where there is a constant battle there is a bridge that literally separates albanians and serbians that live in the same uh, oh, wow. yeah i didn't know that but recently that has aggravated a little bit so hopefully it will end soon Mhm. Okay, so back to your changes, two two big moves to to the UK. So um so the first time the purpose of going there was finding more opportunities for myself. Uh-huh. And you went there alone, right? I did. <laughs> so yeah, for the for all the ladies who are listening, like I th- I think that that holds people back a lot that yeah. Uh, you might be in a relationship or you might have a family and it can feel really limiting because there's so much responsibility put on you by by the people around you if you fulfill a lot of the traditional roles or if you go down that path so how did you overcome that or how did you arrive at the decision that i need to go myself and look for these opportunities i think i've always been a bit curious and i was like well what's the worst that could happen i could go and try and i can always come back okay and i still live a bit by that even when i moved the second time i was like well kosovo and albania they're still there okay they're my home i can always go back there so why not see if there's anything more more than what i've got right what i have is there for me but is there anything more so yes i moved to the uk and it wasn't as easy as i uh, expected it was a big challenge because coming from a small town you know everyone everyone knows you you take some things for granted but then once you're put in the world that you don't know anything anyone the very big cultural difference um it took a lot of adaptation but uh, yeah but i was determined to to do it so i didn't give up That's so true. You know, a lot of people talk about uh cultural differences and language differences when they move to another country, but I had the same experience as you that I had never really lived in a big city until mm-hmm. I went to Russia. And 
when I moved to Russia, that was the first time that I really like, sure. I had been in a big city for a couple of days here and there, an event, uh, but I didn't live in it. And that's a whole different thing to learn. Um, and so like doing it on top of that in another language with a different culture, with everything is new, it can be a big challenge. I, I feel you on that. Definitely. <laughs> I think I secretly love the challenge. <laughs> so that's been part of me. Um, so yeah, that's where it started. You know, I, I even remember that like I had, I had lived in Italy, but again, I lived in a small town there too. And then I moved back to the United States and went to college, university, finished high school, university, all that. And then I moved to Russia. And when I got to Russia, I had never seen what they called Euro windows or uh, so like when you go to a balcony, mm -hmm. first of all, most of the places that I lived like a balcony was for your house. Like it wasn't an apartment building balcony. Like I wasn't used to that. So, right. um, so I went to the, like the window or, to go out to the balcony and I don't know how this handle works. <laughs> like, I've never seen this thing before in my life, even though I was, you know, 22, 23 years old, I had never seen that in my life. And I, and I broke it. Cause I was trying to open it and I like took the handle off of it. Uh, so like it's little things like that, that people don't think about. And it's not necessarily, necessarily a language or a culture thing. Like that was taken from like imported from somewhere else to put there. Yeah. It, at the same time, everyone there knows what that thing is and you don't, and it feels really awkward. You've probably, oh, did you I, <laughs> I started working in a supermarket um, within the first month. So I was still having trouble understanding people. I had this wide eyes, weird face, looking at them, like really trying to understand what they're telling me. Um, and I started working in a supermarket and I was put at produce. Okay. So as much as I had learned English for years and I had a degree and I even had a job position waiting for me to start as an English teacher. So I was like, okay, you stay there. Um, I didn't know what broccoli was because I had never seen a broccoli in my life. Uh -huh. And ginger was my nightmare. I had customers ask me, where is ginger? And I just had no idea what this thing is. Is it a fruit, a vegetable? Like, <laughs> what is it? Um, and remember, this is the time that you couldn't Google what is ginger with a photo. Right. I had this little scrolling down phones that would take me forever to go to Google and find that. So, yeah. So, of That's course. Um, my, my first job, well, I had a paper route. I had threw papers <laughs> on people's porches and once a month went to their door and said, please pay me. The second job that I had was at a supermarket and... Yeah, like first I was just putting stuff in bags and pushing carts. And then when I got to the register, to the cash register, or I guess you call it the till. Yeah. Uh, I never did the till. <laughs> so I did that for a little while. And yeah, like even as a teenager who has grown up speaking English your whole life, I don't know what some of those things look like like when it comes to all the different food items and things that people buy to make difference and i don't cook a lot so i had no idea what some of those things were and and um 
it was a challenge even for me. So I think doing it in another in another language in another country is just a huge obstacle to overcome. But you did that. Yeah, and but so- it has helped me a lot in English, though. As a, I I always call it my masters in English. Uh-huh. Just being there twenty four, well twenty four seven. Let's say eight hours a day with other people and being challenged because I couldn't tell people what to come and ask me, or I couldn't say no. Sorry, I don't speak English. Right? I had to come with an answer. I had to face the challenge. So <laughs> that reminds me. One time we set up a, we started a cafe in Russia, and a lot of the cafes there had hookahs, and so mm-hmm. we had hookahs in our cafe and um someone asked for the the prongs okay. to pick the coals off of the top of the of the, the hookah the tongs <laughs> tongs probably yeah thank you for that so the word in russian that they used it sounded to me like a different word and i thought they were asking for chips for a bag of chips so i come back with a bag of chips and they look at me like, what are you doing? I asked for a talk. <laughs> and so <laughs> that felt really embarrassing. Um, but yeah, trying to be a frontline employee in a foreign language uh, company, it's really hard. It's You run into those things and you can't let them hold you back. You have to just power through them. I, I think I went to the UK when well, I came to the UK with such big dreams that I was actually applying for manager uh, positions. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, I can do this. But I quickly realized that it was too soon. I was very new in the country. Uh-huh. And what, so, so, okay, so you tried applying for those higher position jobs first and between you know, your first time there and then your second time coming back and moving to the UK, did you learn something, find some tricks, something that works better to get the attention of employers or uh, or customers or clients or the people that you're targeting? Not really, because as soon as I came back, I, I knew I didn't want to go and work for other people. I okay. knew, like, I think my whole mentality had changed. I wanted to help people. Does it make any sense? So I, I I understood that my English, like my my teaching could help people. So I didn't want to go and work in a language school as an English teacher. Um, but I wanted to find people who actually can change their lives more beyond that, just an English level. Because during the time in Albania, like 2012, I moved to Albania because Uh, I married an Albanian guy and I decided that, no, I need some sunshine. So I'm coming there. And I started working as an English teacher in language school, but also for an online, an international company online, like teaching online. Okay. Um, This was 2012 when my friends were like, so how do you teach? You just turn on the camera and they learn from you like magic trick. Uh, the people would just think that I'm just making money out of nothing and they, they thought that it doesn't work and all that. Anyhow, I was, I was um, working for this company and there was one girl that I think she made me realize like that 
I could be more than an English teacher to a person. Mm -hmm. So she, she had just moved to Canada and she was working as a cleaner. Very, very difficult job. She was cleaning big pots. She was in constant back, uh, had constant back pain and back problems. And she was um, very unhappy. So she was doing English lessons. Her English wasn't even bad. It was okay. And with little, um, let's say a few months, she would have been okay for to just start working in a supermarket or something, right? So one day she comes back to me and she says, I can't do English lessons anymore because I'm going to start a weekend job. So I will be too busy. I said, oh, bear in mind, this was a very skilled hairdresser, right? She was a very skilled hairdresser in her country, moved to Canada, working as a cleaner. So I said to her, oh, that's great. Is this in hairdressing? She said, no, it's another cleaning job. So I was like, so why, why are you doing something that is totally disempowering you, right? Mm -hmm. You have this amazing skill, but you're letting it die. And I was like, you know what? Can we make a pact? Can you actually do the opposite? Just try for a few months, do the opposite, work less and put more time in your English learning and see if you can get a job in hairdressing. Okay, because I believe your English is good enough for you to get your foot in there. And then it's up to you how, how quickly you can adapt. She did that. In a couple of months, she was working as a hairdresser. Now she's got her own salon in, in um, Canada and she absolutely loves it. So it was like, I realized that it wasn't just about uh, English teaching, it was about helping them understand their bigger goal behind English. Why are they learning English for? Was that thing that English could help them achieve, right? Not just the English level. Absolutely. I think that gets missed in a lot of programs and courses mm. that a lot of people see English as a final goal. Yeah. Instead of using it to reach a final goal. Mm. And that's why, like inside our program, we have a welcome call and we also offer like a free consultation. And that's where I try to help my students understand what is their bigger goal? Why are they learning English? And once they have that bigger goal, their motivation just changes. They have a higher motivation and they're more likely to commit to learning English and achieve that goal. That makes sense. Yeah, that's so true. Um, and really, this this doesn't just apply to women. This no. applies. To women, Absolutely. Right? Oh, yeah. Um, but here's here's the thing, though. I've noticed a trend. I don't think men join an English lesson unless they have a bigger goal. While women, they are more likely to join an English course only because their friend has joined an English course or because they think it's cool to know English. And they can do it for a few months. Okay, not all of them, right? But you will notice very soon who are the ones that they don't really have that big purpose behind learning English. But men are less likely to spend. I think, I think women, we enjoy conversation. We enjoy interacting with people, right? So they can do that purely to feel part of an English-speaking community part of a bigger world, like 
talking about different things. Well, men would not waste time to just do that. They have they have a target for it. That's okay. that's how I feel. <laughs> okay. And so, since you focus mostly on coaching women, um, what are some of the biggest issues that women face? Like, what do they need your help with the most? So, finding that that goal, that main goal. Yeah. Uh, so, are there any like? other big issues that women face when they're approaching using English to reach that goal? First of all, is their self-confidence, okay? Most of them come with very low self-confidence um, and that stops them from communicating in English. They often believe that they are not good English speakers or they don't even consider themselves English speakers. And when I tell them that, Oh, there, here we need to, like, during our live lessons, this is what we talk about. They're like, oh, so I'm supposed to speak? It's like they, they expect to learn a language without speaking it or just think that learning more grammar rules, they need to learn all the grammar rules first, all the vocabulary first, and then, ta-da, become the perfect English speaker, mm -hmm. right? So that's the first thing. Um, and it's surprising to see that when they when they uh, fill in, we have a form that they fill in to book a free consultation. Um, they often write their level as A1 or A2. But when I get to speak to them, their English level is much higher than that. So that shows that they, they lack, they have lack of confidence of where they are in English. And it's often because they've never really had an opportunity to speak to an English speaker. So they don't really know where to rate themselves. Right. That's, that's so true. And I've seen that. I've seen the same, that people very often under evaluate their own. Yeah. Are there any like cultural or social barriers that come up when teaching English to women specifically? Not really. I would think that because, I mean, that's exactly why we we did, um, we decided to call it English for Ladies, because I know that in a lot of cultures, women are not, um, are not allowed to attend like uh, English learning groups with men, right? Or it's not seen appropriate, or a lot of topics might not be okay for them to discuss. So being an all women community, okay, they feel okay with that. And a lot of them uh, said that, oh, this is exactly what we're looking for. Or uh, I was waiting for the day I could see something like this out there. I remember one time a woman joined, was a, a Muslim woman, uh, a Muslim girl. She joined and for a few days she would turn off her camera. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I said to her that it's okay. She can keep her camera turned off until she's happy to turn it on. Okay. But um, please be aware that I might be less likely to talk to you purely because I can't see your reaction. Okay. So I might think that you're not there or you're not listening. So within a few days, she turned it on and she was wearing a hijab. Mm -hmm. Um and she said that 
uh, can you please uh, let me know if these lessons are recorded and would a man see them? Okay. And once I reassured that that would not happen, she was happy to take her hijabi and kind of be herself. Um, and that felt great because it was like, yes, you can be totally yourself here. And what you talk here is going to be here. And um, you are accepted whichever way, right? And cool. she, she really appreciated that. I think a lot of students like face that. We have, you know, mixed groups of people and a lot of people don't want to turn their camera on for some of those reasons that you've mentioned. And um, and yeah, some students feel like it's not fair. If like, why would you speak to me less if I don't have my camera on? But do it just... unintentionally, though, don't yeah. you? It's just like if I turn my camera off right now, I, I'm sure our conversation will change completely. Yeah, it's a different it's dynamic. Yeah, yeah. And part of communication is body language. Absolutely. If raises their eyebrow when they say the phrase or if they smile or if they make a sad face when they say something it can be it can make uh, such a difference yeah i mean if you ask them a question and their facial expression show you that she didn't really quite understand you could quickly um rephrase it make it easier rather than putting her on the spot of okay saying like sorry i didn't understand you and so what a lot of times programs for women specifically, use the words empowerment, disempowerment, and things like this. And it sounds like today we've kind of avoided those words and used confidence and, you know, be confident. And mm -hmm. maybe the level of confidence isn't as high as it should be or something like this. So with yeah. women who maybe aren't, don't have that level of confidence related to their English, um, how can she become more confident and like, how does that work? Maybe you have an example of people you've worked with and how that might work. I think the first, the first thing is understanding that they have a lot of limiting beliefs that what they believe is true could just be a limiting belief that is stopping them. Okay. A lot of them would say like, well, I'm not good at languages. Is there okay. such thing? Right. So if there is, how does it explain that people, when they move to an English speaking country, they learn that language? Right. So are they all okay, good at languages? Not necessarily. They've put the spot that they had to. They had no choice. Um, or I'm too old to learn a language or I need to know every word before I speak or um, I will not be fluent until I don't make any mistakes. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are all like limiting beliefs and helping them understand, okay, and, and break those, get rid of those, helps them just get to a different dynamic. Um, and as I said, when the, when the students first join, they're surprised to see that they were required to speak as soon as they join the first lesson, right? But that's really helpful for them because it, it automatically helps them understand that, no, they do not need to be a fluent English speaker or a perfect English speaker to have a conversation with anyone else who speaks English, right? And it's like, it's not as difficult as it was. And within, within a few lessons, when they start enjoying a conversation, 
when when they have this big smile and they are laughing at her, their friends' comments and all that, I know that they have passed a lot of these limiting beliefs and they are at a different stage of learning. Um, so, yes, I think those are are some. Um, so breaking breaking those barriers and um, really focusing. But of course, when it comes to like um, the language itself, uh, during during our lessons, we we can see where their biggest issues are, um, and we can help direct them to focus on those, so they get great results faster. And that way, that motivates them to keep going, because of course, we want our students to see results, and that builds their confidence, and. Um, yeah, and then they start thinking of bigger goals. So, oh yeah, now I can speak English. What's next? So right. I have a lot of the students inside the program that come and say like, oh, teacher, I applied for that job that I told you about. I'm like, great, go for it. I have an interview for this, or I'm thinking about this. So they get into the state of thinking more. What's, what's after this, right? What's the next thing? That's really important the, to think about what the next thing is because yeah. stop with the first one then it you don't get the full potential out of it right exactly and so you moved to the uk you started speaking english you had to but i'm sure you've met people who have moved to the uk mm. sure maybe they've learned some basic words because a stranger might talk to them um mm. but there are a lot of people who just live in a diaspora bubble. bubble, yeah, a bubble of their of their diaspora from their home country. Um, I see that in the United States all the time because I meet all kinds of Russian people in, in the Russian community here. And so I see different levels of assimilation. Uh, and some people have lived here a really long time without learning English. Uh, I'm sure the same is true in the UK. So what is really the difference then? Because and like, I, I agree that, like you said, like some people moved there, they had to learn it. They did. Mm. That's what I did in Russia. Like I could have, like I saw some of the other English teachers there who didn't learn anything. And yeah. so they would just kind of hide in their English world going through. And I didn't want to be like that. I had to make friends and wanted to take part in local events and stuff. So I had to figure that out. And, but a lot of people don't. Um, what do you think the difference is? Well, uh, first of all, I knew English before I started. And I always said, I love English. There was something about it that I always loved. But Again, when I when I moved, it was different. I was more used to American accent. A lot of vocabulary changed. Uh, I was shocked when I opened the door for somebody and they said "cheers" to me. I was like, "Cheers!" In my books, means something completely different. What has this to do with cheers? So all that cultural adjustment. Um, but to me, I came to English for more. Okay, I came to English for more. So. I was not going to let English stop me. Um, and I did the opposite. As you said, I would I would go and throw myself in the group with all English speakers. In my first six years of living in the UK, I lived in the area that I never, ever saw an English, uh, an Albanian person. In my six oh. years, I never said good morning in Albanian because 
that's where I chose to live. Okay. Um, so I first lived with um, friends from different parts of the world, but we had to speak in English together. Mm -hmm. And then I moved with an English family. And I think that was, that was really amazing for me because it helped me understand the language, like at a different, different depth, like, how do you express your your anger? Your uh, how how do you use the language when you're uh, excited, when you're sad, when you're mad, when you celebrate, when you okay? It's, so the things that you don't get to see from someone you spend a little time with or have a coffee with, right? Or that you don't see necessarily when you take an online course, or even when you have a lesson about a certain topic, because. Yeah. A lesson might be how to express yourself when you're excited, but until you are actually in that situation with that group of people, you don't know that. And what you mentioned about cheers, that's, I had uh, an issue understanding that also, because in American English, we don't say that. So hmm. I remember I was walking down the hall after teaching an English lesson and the British English teacher was passing me and I said, Hey, how's it going? He goes, cheers. And I was like, did he just come from a party or, or, or like, it, what's going on here? You know? And, and so it took me a minute to think about it. And I was like, aha, in British English, you can do that. And then I started to see that the other British English teachers used this word cheers so much more often as a greeting. And, and yeah, so like, even I had to go like learn that thing too, when speaking with that group of people, you know? Yeah, but sadly, these things are never taught in books. So I think this, this is what is great about like um, English learning programs where you can have speaking practice. As we do, we speak about different topics. So as you said, yes, maybe the topic is what uh, makes you excited. Um, we might not really feel the feeling, but we, we make the lesson in that way that they have to share an exciting moment of their life or something that they do get a sense of excitement or perhaps that's a good way for for me to tell them like some some phrases commonly used when you're excited or um, how would a British person express excitement or something like that and they found them uh, amusing because it, I mean uh, culture comes with a language right a language comes with its culture uh, so yeah. So how do you incorporate cultural awareness into, into lessons? And like, how do you think that that adds to language learning? Oh, absolutely. Um, it, it adds a lot of um, like diversity in the sense of we are sometimes shocked and sometimes we're like, oh, we didn't realize you're so, so like me, even though we live in different parts of the world. So that amazes us all. We often talk about like uh, different traditions, different um, like habits, even could even be habits or um, family norms or like, for example, the other day we we're talking about uh, talking about finances. And it was amazing to share like how in different families around the world, like it's a taboo topic or some others would just talk about it like confidently, easily. Yeah. So, yeah. For you, for example, in Kosovo, compared to the UK, hmm. what, what's the difference there about discussing finances? Oh, we are very reserved. 
my okay. companions. Yeah, we are very reserved when it comes to money. And I was even saying to my students yesterday, because we had lesson about money yesterday, that if you asked me as a child if I was rich or poor, I wouldn't know the answer to that. Uh, because I never, ever heard my family like, my dad would never say, we can't buy this because we can't afford it. They'll probably go, you can't buy this, full stop, right? <laughs> yeah. we can't, like, that's it. So, but in England, it's very different. In the UK, like, they can tell you, look, well, I have one friend who told me uh, during Christmas, okay, my husband has some uh, problems at work. He probably has to leave his job. So all my family are getting cookies for Christmas. Mm -hmm. I would have never, ever said that. Yeah. And I know I would have never heard that in my country. Okay. Yeah. Even if that was the case, they would probably go and borrow money and not, not say that or not accept that. Right. Because I feel like the further uh, east you get, <laughs> the more people have to, like, it, culturally, you have to show a strong face. You, you aren't supposed to show weaknesses, right? So yeah. in Western cultures, the, like, we see value in vulnerability and, mm -hmm. like, you should show your weakness because, like, overcoming the weakness shows that you're strong and... Yeah something like that. And if you need help, you should ask and, and all of these kinds of things. Uh, yeah, that's really a divide. Yeah, that's, that's a big difference. That's for sure. It took me a long time to teach myself to ask. It's okay to ask. Um, as you said, because like asking means you don't know. Okay. Or makes you vulnerable. So that shows weakness and that's not good. <laughs> but yeah, that's because of the upbringing. Again, a limiting belief, which I have um, understood and dealt with myself. But similarly, like people have a lot of limiting beliefs when it comes to learning a language and how that could empower them. Um, so I think because I have done the journey, I can spot those things easily in a student. Okay, Because I've walked the walk. So I go, oh, this is what's happening. Or this is what we're working on. That's why it's so great to work with someone who has actually done the thing you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people try to learn everything through theory. And a lot of times that's not the best way. I mean, if you look back to one of the first great teachers, Socrates, like <laughs> his method is that he discusses the, mm. the, like you go through this method of discussing it and this helps you to arrive at an, an answer, a solution. And, um, you know, a lot of people are looking for a quick fix. Yeah. 10 bucks and get, you know, five videos that are going to teach me English. <laughs> I mean, it might help you in some way. Maybe you're going to learn something. Teach you a few words. But you, you get what you put in. You get out what you put in, right? And Oh, absolutely. So with language learning, I think that's truer than... Then in a lot of other areas, even yeah. like you put time in, you put in practice and like, there are those steps you have to go, those embarrassing moments, those, those mistakes, those things you have to ask about that you have to overcome. If you ever want to get there, some, someone was teaching language learning theory and they really put it in a, in a, an interesting way. So I just wanted to throw it out there while it's in my 
memory um mm. that like the, the best language learners are people who are good at guessing because you always come into contact with new things yeah and how well can you guess what that is like in the context or from the structure of the sentence or the word or like how accurately can you guess and then words have multiple meanings so you learn one meaning of a word and what most people do is they go to the dictionary translate okay that word is that word okay and then they go out in the world and they just think that a equals b always and that's that's it but then they come into contact with using that word to mean something else and they have a crisis or something and they're like, no, it can't mean that. Um, you know, so, so the people who are more open to like the meaning changing and open to like guessing that, okay, that's probably what this is. Instead of saying 100%, absolutely always it, this is this. That's a totally limiting belief that the belief that these are the rules, this word means this and that's it. And if you're saying it differently, you are wrong and they even point fingers. So it's like. Right. And and language is always changing and evolving. It's not a static thing that you just learn once and you're mm-hmm. done. Uh, like I lived in Russia eight years. I've been living in the States for six and a half years now since Russia. COVID happened. The war happened. People have been talking about that stuff constantly. And I haven't in Russian. So there's uh, all new vocabulary that I that I have to learn. Uh, the last time I went there was after COVID, but before the war, and people were using words about being vaccinated and mm-hmm. and like this. I had to learn a bunch of new words, and so th- it's always changing. Yeah. And I think it's a big mistake for people to think that it's not. Yeah. Um- That's the reason why I always encourage my students to find something they love and connect that with English. So if it's cooking, make it a habit. Watch those cooking shows in English. Okay, find cooking recipes in English. If it's music, stick to listening to music in English. Okay, Um, if it's reading, gradually go into reading in English. Right. Uh, Try graded readers. See what works for you. Um, try audible books and explore, okay? But find that one thing that you can stick. Even when you leave our program, our course, you have that one thing that English will come um, with you. Because as I said, it's a journey. It's not just um, you learned English now and off you go. Absolutely. For me, that thing was social media. At 23 years old, I spent a lot of time on social media and Mm -hmm there was a Russian social media platform where everyone was there, but everything was in Russian. And so I went there and tried to understand what was going on. And I would, I would send random people a message like, hello in -hmm. Russian. And then if they actually wrote me back, I was like, ah, I'm doing it right. And then (laughs) then I got to like the next step and I would be like, okay, so now if they said hello back, then I need to say this. And what are they going to say after I do that? And I took it like a step-by-step thing like this. And, and, and it was really interesting because I learned so many ways to tell someone that you don't want to talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> like they, because people would always write back these really interesting creative <laughs> ways of telling you to buzz yeah. off. Uh, 
and <laughs> so that was really cool. I learned all those things. And then in real life, I saw that some people would repeat some of these phrases or like interesting different ways just to say hello back to someone. And, and then the next step, like, how's it going? What's okay. Well, like in Russian, this question doesn't get asked that much because you're not usually making this extra small talk that English requires. And so like, how can you say something like that to make the conversation go where you need it to go? So learning those kinds of things, you know, um, I feel like learners of English have to learn it the opposite way sometimes because English is so informal and so polite, even when it's informal. Um, maybe not polite, but let's say a little more formal than uh, informal ways of speaking in other languages. And so um, the extra small talk or or the indirectness of a, of a question mm-hmm something it's a skill an additional skill that they have to learn that isn't solved by vocabulary or grammar or pronunciation but we we work on those a lot though um because i i share with them as you said the cultural differences like back home it's totally okay to sit in the cafe and just when the waiter comes to say coffee that's it coffee right macchiato whatever you want to order just the name of what you want. And he will give you a big smile and just walk and get it for you and bring it, okay? If you sit and just say coffee to a waiter in the UK, he would say, excuse me? Yeah. Servant somehow, even though his job is to serve you, that the addressing to that person that way would offend them. Right, same here in the States. So yeah, I think it's it's definitely a cultural difference that directness tends to be valued in some contexts and situations. Like I feel like in the business context, people are a little more direct, but still when you're doing business with English speakers, there's this like have to make each other feel comfortable at the beginning. Uh We have to pretend to like each other at the beginning. We have to build rapport at the beginning so that we can continue the conversation. Right. Right. It's like we're on, you're like testing the other person if they're on the same page as you. Yeah. So you say like, Hey, how's it going? And the person just keeps walking. There's no conversation to me. It was, it was something I had to relearn when I moved back to the States from Russia, because I just got in the habit of being direct, whether I was speaking English or Russian or whatever, just whoever I was dealing with, I was being very, very direct because I wanted to fit in, in that cultural environment. And it worked well there. When I moved back to the States, my family and friends started to say like, Chris, you're kind of rude. You're like, uh, why don't you like, you should say it in a different way or something. They started to, to make little comments that told me that, wait a minute, I forgot or, or I unlearned this thing and I need to, to relearn it again. Um, it was the opposite for me because I lived in UK for six years and then I went to Albania, moved to Albania. When I moved there, people find that I say please and thank you for everything like unnecessarily. Yeah. So I looked to them a bit too polite, a bit over the top. But as you said, because I had learned something, I couldn't switch off. I think right now, if I went back to Russia, like it would be hard for me in my mind to switch off the please and thank yous 
that I had to relearn here. Like I noticed it as a huge behavioral thing. Like when I moved back to the States, walking down the street, I'm not, I, I wasn't going to say, Hey, good morning. Hi. Like people would say that to me and I'd just be like, and just, you know, keep going. And because like in Russia, that's, that never happened. It's not like you're just going to be like, good morning person. I don't know. How are you today? No. Why do you care? And so, so like here now I've switched and now I'm the, I'm walking down the street and I'm like, good morning. Hey, how you doing? And, uh, and sometimes I think about it. I'm like, wow, I used to be against that. I used to never do that. And now in order to fit in here, I've had to switch again. And so some people kind of look at that as something bad. They think that you're losing part of yourself by taking on those characteristics or qualities of, of the country that you move to or of other people. Uh, I think it's great. I mean, I, I think that's what you have to do to really learn to really speak the language in a way that feels natural for you. Um, I remember I was doing teacher training in Russia. We were on this bus and the girl next to me, she was from the States. And I told her something like this. This was 2009. I told her like, oh, I, you know, I want to take on, I want to be, I want to be a little bit Russian so that I can understand and I can speak. And she's like, I'm not going to change who I am. Like, and I was like, that's kind of strange. Like, why are you here then? Like, why'd you move here and, and do all of this? If you want to learn how to speak the language and you want to live with the people and understand the culture, then why would you not be open to changing yourself a little bit to, to allow this to be in, in you, to be part of you, you know? I think that's the problem of those ladies that have moved in the UK and they still don't speak English very well. I think they still choose to live the Albanian way. Um, they don't want to gel with the British. They don't want to be like them. Um, as I said, because I think they're afraid of losing their identity. And I'm sure that some of them would even kind of judge me in a way that like, oh, so why do you hang out with English friends when there are a lot of Albanians around kind of idea? Yeah. But I'm I'm the same believer as you. I think if you go to that country, is you adopting and living their way? And if you don't like how they live, then you're not in the right country. Then just yeah. go and find that country that actually uh, you're okay with and live. Because um, yeah. I had a similar story. I had a lady... Um, I was traveling from Kosovo to Albania, the same language, two different countries, the same language, the same nation, but very different accents, very, very different. So the bus is that, that place that I don't know which accent to use. I can flip from one to the other like that, but if when I'm on the bus, I don't know which, which one because you get people like from both sides. Okay. So I'm sitting to this lady who was from Kosovo, another teacher, and she asked me something. And I somehow answered in Albanian accent. And like the, the Albanian, not Kosovan accent. And she went to me, oh, you're from Albania? I said, no, I'm actually from Kosovo. She went to me, so why do you speak like this? 
why did you forget your mother language? Like, Jill, please, I can switch right now. Just watch me. It's, um, yeah, that's a limiting belief, of course, and that holds a lot of people uh, back. So. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's amazing because really your identity is fluid and it's always changing. And you're growing up, you're becoming older, you're doing meeting new people, doing new things, finding new interests. You're a different person constantly. And so I think, yeah, it's really a struggle if you're trying to just hold on to something that you thought that you were or that someone told you that you are just because you're born in a place or in a certain family or with a certain religion or with a certain political group or whatever. There's a lot of ways that you know, the people around us tell us who we are and it's our choice to accept it or not. And we can become who we want to be, but people get stuck in, in that. Yeah. Luckily we have people like you who are helping people push through, break through those kinds of barriers. So Chindresa, thank you so much for being here. You're today. welcome. It was my absolute pleasure. Mine too. It's always great to talk to you. And um, how can people find you? Well, they can find me everywhere um, at our page, uh, webpage, englishforladies.com. We are on Facebook, English for Ladies, and uh, YouTube, English for Ladies, Instagram, English for Ladies One. So, <laughs> yeah, please have a look, check what we're all about. And if I could help you. I'll be happy to do so. Awesome. And we'll put all the links under the video. And if you're listening to the podcast, the links will be in the description. So thank you so much, Chandrasa. It was really a pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to English World with Chris Americos. Now it's your turn. Don't just listen to English, speak English with us every day. Join our English Everyday Speaking Program today. See you in the next episode. Bye-bye.